Mm. Burnout is such a hard thing to deal with. Whether it's because of your job, your family, just everyday life. And our next guest helps us work through the burnout. Building spirituality, family, health, and business. This is The Giant Builders with Lois Wyant. Hello, Giant Builders. Today, our guest is Daphna Shaha, in which case she is a doctor in internal medicine, but she has something special that she's going to share with us that she has found through her journeys. So, hi, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Just fine. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm a Kansas native. I received my medical school training and residency training here in Kansas as well. Um, I've been practicing as an internist, predominantly in rural Kansas, for about the last, gosh, 10 years. Through this process, you know, you've had some experiences that brought you into some different directions. Can you share that with us? One thing I think that has happened is the culture of medicine is very, I would almost say militaristic, right? There's a hierarchy. And even if we come into medicine with a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, you have to fit a mold. So at their medical school and residency, they really try to squeeze the almost the humanity or the emotions out of you. You have to be stoic. You have to be professional all the time, perfectionistic. And really taking, you know, you have to put the patients first, first and always. And at some point, about the first three years, I really hit a wall of burnout. And that goes within the statistics, right, of right now we're seeing a lot of physician burnout, moral injury um, within the first five years. And then you compound that with COVID and the great resignation. So this is back in uh, around 2016. I had to take a step back. Family member had some medical complications that really exacerbated that. Took another step back. And then my best friend, who is also a physician in um, for medical school and residency, died by suicide. And that was in 2019. So that really made me push the pause button and think, what in the heck am I doing? You know? Uh, so when that happened, you know, I had to really process process the loss and then process what am I doing? And if I can't see myself practicing medicine because, you know, that couple of times I've thought about leaving, um, what, how am I going to change it? How am I going to make sure that when I'm 65, 70, that I still love what I'm doing? And so for me, that was really, you know, looking at what I needed um, financially, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And so you know, I had to take a step back. I had to dial back a lot. And you now being, being in Kansas, being in a small town, I think there's a lot of, there are a lot of great people. And the thing about small towns is that you really get to develop those relationships. And I, through that, you know, I was able to come back to the community, in which I initially started practicing um, part-time. So I was able to be a physician. I'm still in this community. I'm able to be a physician. And then I'm also able to be, yeah, I can goof off with my kids on my days off. You know, so it's, that's, that's what I had to do for, for my mental sanity. How do you help other people figure out their mental stability? Well, I think, you know, it really kind of comes down to each individual. Number one, 
with my patients and also with the staff, I'm, I'm pretty open about what, what I've gone through, particularly with the loss of my friend. And then when I work with medical students and residents, you know, I'm, I'm open about a lot of these things as well. And it's easy to get down that, that mindset of, you know, chasing, chasing the dollar, because I mean, as physicians, we come out of medical school with an incredible amount of debt. 200,000 would be probably lowballing it for most. Because you have to remember, it's not just medical school. It's also undergrad, if you've done a master's program, if you've done research, and then we also put off financial gain for almost a decade. So if you compound all that, you can chase all that. But if you don't have your health, if you are not alive to really enjoy it, then what's the what's the point? And so when when they're in clinic with me, not only do we discuss internal medicine, not only do we discuss the cases, but we also discuss, you know, what do you like doing as a as a person? What are your interests as a person? What makes you whole? What what makes you happy? What do you want out of life? You know, so those things I think need to be discussed more in in medicine and any in any workplace. Mm-hmm. Any workplace for sure. Because uh, there's so many different types of job positions that you can allow to take control of your life. I mean, obviously you see it a lot in the medical field because there's so much dedication there. But sometimes I think we just get blindsided by what how we're using our time or what we're doing with our time. I would agree 100%. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, parallel between uh, medicine and corporate, not just because of the corporate America coming into medicine, but you know, I don't want to be married to my I don't want to be married to my job. There's more to life than work. I don't want to live to work. I want to work to live. And I think we're seeing a lot of that mind shift starting to happen, particularly during the pandemic. And as unfortunate as it has been, I think, you know, the silver lining, right? We're starting to see a lot of, a little bit of disruption and it's not necessarily good for patient care because we don't have the staff, right? We don't have the staff in all realms. And but we're also seeing it in other industries. Having said that, I think we're also seeing a culture shift in the workforce, not to where people don't want to work, but to where people want workable, livable and workable conditions. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we're just opening our eyes to the fact that we're, we're damaging our health with all of the convictions or uh, conditions of a workplace. And a lot of the, a lot of that, I mean, don't get me wrong when I'm working. Yeah. My, my mindset and my attention, they're on my patients. But then when I go home, work is at work and home is at home. And I, I think a lot of the culture is changing to where, and just in general, where we have, we're needing that. We're understanding the necessity to have those boundaries and to have that refresh time because I can tell my patients all day, yeah, you need to, you know, take care of yourself and you need to sleep and you need to eat and you need to exercise. 
But if we're not taking care of ourselves as physicians, or if you're a teacher, if you're uh, whatever you do, if you're not taking care of yourself, then how can you show up and give your hundred percent? How are you able to create that division between work and home life? I mean, what did you do mentally to, to put that into place? That's a great question. So after the, after my friend's suicide, I was predominantly working in an outpatient position, which means that I was in office only. And there was a call system to triage calls after um, office hours. Previous to that, I was doing everything inpatient, which would be in the hospital, as well as clinic. And each time I hit a wall, I had to scale back. So when Dr. Bicker um, took her own life, put things in perspective, right? So I, that that's when I switched to the more of the mindset um, of working to live. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. So what am I going to do today to enjoy what I have? Mm-hmm. And I really had to sit down and, um, and think about what I needed and what that shift would look like. And uh, that it was just divine timing or serendipity, if you will, that I fell into this position in the in original community in which I started practicing back in 2013. You know, in small town America, you can still maintain those relationships. And I've, I really respect my clinic manager. She's a friend outside of work and the um, hospital administration. So they had put in some uh, things into place that made it more sustainable. So when I came back, uh, there was a hospitalist group that took care of all the inpatient. And then um, they had expanded the clinical services and support staff. So I was able to come back part-time, which is what I was looking for, just to be able to have that time to work and that time to play. Oh, that's great that they had that flexibility to. Yes. Do you think very many medical organizations are that flexible? I can only speak to what I've seen here. Okay. And I can I can say I'm not 100% sure that they are. Okay. I think that there's, I know that there's a culture of many physicians have stopped admitting their own patients, particularly if there is a hospitalist group, which is just physicians dedicated to doing inpatient services at the hospital. Mm-hmm. Because to be honest with you, the compensation and the time driving between hospitals is cumbersome, much more so than, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And it's not to say, oh, well, the doctor's not going to come in because they're not going to get paid. No, that's not it. You know, in, overhead has increased and the ability, the treatment options have increased and medicine has become so subspecialized that you really, um, it's almost better standard of care, I think, to admit to the hospitalist groups. That way they can, they have that training. Mm -hmm. So it's very difficult to keep up with everything. So I think that there's that, but then also if you're private practice, you know, you eat what you kill. Eh, I don't like the terms, but, you know, that just kind of gives you an idea of, of the, of the traction. So if you're not working, there's not the income. And then there's the employed physician like, like me that I, I prefer that model. So that way I can concentrate on the patient care instead of the business side. Um, so I think it depends on what the physician wants and what model would work best for them and then drawing their boundaries and then really taking that into negotiation 
And, you know, we as physicians are not great at negotiation. So that's where a good contract lawyer comes in. Definitely worth the, the money spent. What advice would you give to a young person who might be considering medical field? And, and we could probably even interpret this advice into like some of you might be going in corporate because that's kind of the same thing these days. Yeah. So, what advice would you give to them? I would say definitely enjoy the journey. You know, don't don't rush through it. Make sure that you if you're going to go into healthcare, make sure you like being around sick people because you're seeing people at their most vulnerable points. And if that's not comfortable for you, don't do it. If you're going into corporate, again, make sure you enjoy what you're going to be working with because there are so many different ways with less liability to make money. So number one, make sure you love what you do. Number two, don't don't worry about the name brand schools. I mean, I understand that there's a lot of prestige and a lot of some will push you to do that. But at the end of the day, you're the one that's going to have to foot the bill. So sit down, do the math. And if there's a less expensive or more economical way to take classes and prereqs, do that. And then be creative. Don't lose sight of yourself. Because if you do, you're going to wake up one day and regret it. So definitely stay true to your authentic self. I've, I've had to learn that in my late 30s and now 40. So it's, it's a process. You've been in medicine for a while. What's, how have you seen the changes in medicine since maybe school to where you are now? Sure. So in medical school, right, I was in medical school in the early 2000s and then graduated from med school in uh, 2010 and residency from 2013, because internal medicine is a three-year residency. One thing I've definitely seen is the push for the electronic medical record, EMR, EHR, what, whatever you want to call it. Uh, back in medical school, I was writing notes, and I understand that you know, doctors don't have great handwriting, but we also have to write a lot and very fast. So it is what it is. Having said that, you know, when I was in medical school, there was a, there was a thought process of, well, what if you, what if they can't read your writing or what if you wanted test X and they ordered test Y and the person putting in the orders are not a physician, but they're um, a ward clerk. And so what's the answer? And, you know, we were really trained, I would say, not necessarily brainwashed, but, you know, you had to drink the Kool-Aid of, yeah, the uh, physician order entry is the way to go. And it's, it really, it's really wasn't because we'd spent a lot of time um, putting orders or writing notes. And while I understand there's, they're integral to uh, patient care, we spend most of our time (laughs) caring for the computer instead of the patient, which was not the reason why we went into medicine. That's not the reason why anybody goes into healthcare. So I would say, you know, really don't necessarily drink the Kool-Aid, but also spark that innovation. And I understand that one person cannot change, but one person can spark interest. And sometimes all it takes is a spark. So I've definitely seen that change. And then also this idea of patient satisfaction, which I'm not a fan of. It dilutes the relationship between patient and physician. 
I mean, you can Google a physician and like their Google ratings are almost like a report card, right? But, you know, honestly, we have to look at human behavior and say, hey, a, a person that's mad at an outcome because they didn't get what they wanted, regardless of what the guidelines are for treating that condition, you know, that that patient is probably going to leave me a bad review because they didn't get what they wanted. Well, this isn't fast food. So you can't get it the way you, this is not, you know, can't get it your way. And, and so it really has diluted that relationship. It's shared decision-making. It's not giving the patient what they want because that's what they want. They have to remember that there are guidelines and we try to practice safe medicine. So that is definitely something I'm against. I can see where that would be a real problem. Right. I mean, I am all about patience and I will definitely bend over backwards. Um, I've even showed up at a patient's house to say my concerns if I could not get a hold of them because, you know, the radiology findings were that serious. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to change my practice based on one dissatisfied patient. Any closing thoughts? Just enjoy the journey. I mean, if it takes you five years, 10 years, doesn't matter as long as you're making progress, right? Just enjoy the journey because life is, life is awesome. Life is short. Learn from the mistakes and keep going on. That was great advice. Thanks so much. Well, I appreciate your time and just sharing with us and, you know, just life is just really hard. You know, life is, life can be really hard in different fields. So I really respect and appreciate your dedication to your field. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Uh All right. Thanks, Giant Builders. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. This has been The Giant Builders with Lois Wyant.